the Production Expert Podcast with Julian Rogers and Eli Kranzberg. Hi, and welcome to Production Expert Podcast number 421. It's May the 25th, 2020. I'm Julian Rogers. I'm Eli Kranzberg. And I'm James Richmond. James, hello. Nice to see you. Uh, this is James, who is first time on the podcast. Uh, James, tell us a, a quick bit about yourself. Uh, yeah, so I'm a, a guitar player, drummer, engineer, uh, and producer, working mostly from uh, my studio in Oxfordshire, but also partly in uh, Geneva, Switzerland. So uh, mostly freelance, occasionally worked for some manufacturers, um, doing a lot of rock music, a little bit of electronic music, that sort of thing generally. Um, I run a, yeah, thanks. Uh, I run a Pro Tools HDX rig primarily with some nice monitors and I, and I work in a hybrid uh, workflow. So I've got a lot of analog outboard augsed into Pro Tools or sometimes Logic. Okay, more importantly, what kind of drum kit do you have? Ooh, um, well, uh, a couple of DWs, a couple Ooh. of Ludwigs, and a lot of snares. Okay, so you're a serious drummer. You got a couple of kits, it's, uh, and they're you know they're, those are high end kits. I mean, the DW are great drums. Yeah, I really like them. I, I like them uh, to record. I particularly like gigging Ludwigs for some reason. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I actually came to drumming late. I was primarily a guitar player, and uh, all of my drumming friends were in five bands, and I couldn't get anyone <laughs> in time. So I went off and studied uh, for two years with a chap called Mike Glozier and, you know, did the necessary work to get to a gig ready standard. And now I am mostly a drummer. Fantastic. Hmm. <laughs> so we've got some great deals from Process Audio, RSPE, Isotope, Synchro Arts, Slate Digital Waves, Editor's Keys and Avid on our deals page. So uh, go to the deals page. Um, right, talking points. These are sponsored by our tour. Hello experts and listeners, Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia has a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes... Delay Tape 201, Delay Memory Brigade, and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the AudioFuse Creative Suite is included with all AudioFuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more on the effects you'll actually use. Great. So, talking points. Uh, talking point one. Uh, if analog consoles disappeared tomorrow, would you care? Um Eli, I'm going to go to you first. <laughs> you know, I'm the one who suggested this talking point. I came across it in an online survey. I, I think it was uh, for the form I was filling out for the free Spitfire library, which I just got my download link for today, and I'm anxious to try out. I think that's where I saw it. And I thought, what an oddball question, but I, I kind of get why they were asking it. You know, nowadays, yeah, I, I mean, how many of us would really miss it? You know, would it make a difference in my life? We've got I, the I wrong up, James on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's well, I mean, <laughs> I, I'd wake up tomorrow and come down to my studio and do my work like I always do. Um, you know, I, I, it seems to me the, the the most important, you know, use case 
need for analog consoles is for when you're, you know, tracking lots of live musicians at the same time, which is, you know, that what recording studios always used to be, but of course aren't really anymore. So I personally wouldn't miss it because I don't have a, I don't run a big studio. You know, I'm working out of a home studio and I don't track more than a couple of instruments at a time. And I have a little eight in, eight out, uh, well, not little, but an eight in, eight out Apollo HP with, you know, the, the console software and, and I can do everything I need to do with that. Now, you know, if I was running a big room with a control booth and a drum booth and, uh, and, 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 you know, tracking seven or eight musicians at a time with, you know, a bunch of headphone mixes and running 16 mics and that'd be a different story. But how many of us are actually doing that now? James, you're probably going to have a lot to say about that but um mm. so personally i i wouldn't miss it in my life tomorrow no I okay wouldn't. we'll go to james in just one second but we i think we all need to answer this one so eli when was the last time you worked an analog console for a recording session hmm that's a good question I mean, aside from the little Mackie mixer I had here in my studio like 15 years ago or 20 years ago if that I'm, was the last <laughs> one but i'm just saying as opposed to live sound um, yeah, no, I've sound obviously is it. Uh, you know, I don't know that I, I, I have to think about it. I can't give you an answer right now because I'm not really a, a trained studio engineer. I mean, I haven't done a lot of work in big studios from the engineering side of the desk anyway. Yeah, um, but without wanting to kind of be rude, you, you, you predate purely digital workflow. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. <laughs> I do, I do, yeah. So but I'm just I, thinking, you know, back in the day, we used mixers because there wasn't an alternative to using a mixer. But, you so. know, back in that, that day, the predating the digital workflows, I was more on the playing end of things than the mixing end of things. Sure. So, okay. Fair yeah, enough. You know. Okay. All right. So, James, anyway, would you care? Yeah. Um, so, I sort of think there's four reasons to use a console. Uh, one is that speed of use when tracking full bands. Another is when you're using a tape machine. Uh, also, if you want to impress clients with, you know, this massive board that looks amazing. And, and then the fourth one is... You want one. Yes. <laughs> all you good know, reasons. All good. <laughs> wanting a thing is, you know, for me, so... That's why I, all I, things are bought, because yeah. you want them. I mean, the only things that that, that that doesn't apply for are things like insurance. Well, yeah. So I, I guess I'm... It's the emotional dimension to it that, that I like. I, I guess I have this vision in my head that sometime in the future, I'll be sitting in front of a, a large top-shelf you know, fully featured console that, that I own, you know, a duality or a big API or something like that. And it, and it doesn't matter to me that the industry feels like it's moved on. And for most people, you know, p people like us, I guess, it, it really has. There is just something about that idea of, you know, one day that will be mine that kind of drives me to keep working in the industry. It's not, the, obviously, it's not the only reason. But, you know, I started on a Behringer, can you believe it, eight bus console, which was as unimpressive as it sounds, um, you know, no slide on Behringer, but, you know, at that time they, they were not amazing uh, bits of kit, but it was what I could afford and it was a 24-channel This would have been the console. Eurodesk, presumably. Yeah, the MX-8000. And, you know, that thing spent more time being repaired than it did passing audio. Mm -hmm. um, it was a, a product of its time. So, yeah, so I, I, I guess I don't need one and my current workflow isn't a problem. Uh, but I'm all, kind of always thinking, ah, oh, you know, I, I would like to have that uh, console workflow again. I, they, I are, had a, they are definitely, they make a visual statement and they are items of lust for some, that's true. Sure, but they're also a big comb filter. You know, from an acoustical point of view in your studio, you know, it, it, it's, oh, it's a problem. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it's a problem you have to work around. 
um, you know, for your room acoustics. So, so yeah, you know, it, it, I guess there is no situation where it's a, a it's an entirely positive um, decision. So on that um, subject, something I always find quite amusing is pretty, pretty much all of the monitors that I've looked at recently have all had a, a console setting for sorting out the issues that placement on a meter bridge introduces. Yeah, yeah. Even some surprisingly inexpensive ones. I'm thinking, for how many people is this an aspirational setting <laughs> or well, yeah, or, a, yeah. or an actual statement of kind of like this is a problem that's, that, that may exist for you? Are the manufacturers saying these belong on the, uh, on the meter bridge of – you know, a, a big VR or something, or are they? Are they saying that when they get up there, they're going to sound like a bag of spanners, and you're going to need to flick this switch to sort it out? Hmm. Just a thought. Hmm. I think uh, you know, it's just to sit on top of a regular studio desk. It doesn't have to be a console, but most of us have some kind of you know computer desk or studio desk with our monitors on or near it, and I think it's meant for that. Uh, well, ah, you see, on some you have a table setting and a yeah. and a um, console setting. Oh, you do two separate ones. It depends, there. but on on some on quite a few that I've seen recently, you do, and okay. I think they're definitely talking about that particular geometry. But if you've got one of those, the geometry is not that different. If you've got you know specific studio furniture, actually, because you'll probably have some racks at the back and it'll be lifted up, and there'll be yeah, you know, it's it's just about angles, isn't it, and distances. Anyway, James, what are you saying? What are you saying? Um, yeah, so you know, so I guess I find myself always thinking that maybe you know, quite soon I will go back to to a console. But then when you know, if I've got a bit of money from uh, to, to spend on the studio, I often end up making a decision to to not go down that route. Um, but you know, at the moment I'm I'm back in that swing of thinking I'd like to have a you know mid mid sized console, an SSL Matrix or an Origin or something like that, or even one of the smaller APIs. Uh, probably not the box because for me it would be more of a tracking thing um, you know recall is for me a big uh, a big part of what I need um, and so, so it, once the audio gets into the box except for uh, hardware on, in, on inserts I probably wouldn't throw 32 channels out to a, a console to to mix through I'd probably still do that in in Pro Tools uh, you know, even the large SSLs, the AWS, um, although it has total recall, you can recall everything, getting EQs to be precise can be a very labor-intensive uh, process. Uh, so I personally probably wouldn't do that. Uh, but for a tra for tracking, yeah, yeah, I can see myself at the moment. It, it is something I, I guess I'd like to do. Would yeah, I no, I can definitely see, like, if you're tracking multiple musicians, I mean, to, you yeah. know, getting all the levels set and the headphone mixes and aux ends and this and that, no, it definitely... It's definitely still useful in that context, I think. You know? Yeah, well, the, it's the reason why I still have HDX and I haven't gone fully Apollo. Um, you know, it's my first time on the podcast, so people don't yet know what I'm running. I've got a 48-channel Focusrite um, RedNet Red system that's uh, connected to HDX, um, and which is fantastic. And I also run an Apollo um, X8 and I, I, you know, the, the the great thing about doing Q mixes in the box with HDX is it's a one window operation, where with the Universal Audio stuff you're always flicking between the console and whatever workstation you're in. Mm, um, that's true. That's something I I haven't done with the Universal Audio stuff. Is done any tracking of more than one person in that stuff, which yeah, isn't that surprising possible. considering all I've got is an Apollo Twin for for that stuff. But I've yeah, got it 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 is possible, and you can do it. I I don't like it as much. And I don't like doing setting up Q mixes in HDX as much as I like doing it on an analog board. Uh, it's 
it then becomes a, a question as to is all of the expense, uh, expense complexity, heat maintenance, uh, cabling, mm. space, and and the acoustic you know dimension uh, to having a, a console worth the number of times I'm going to do that sort of work. One of my happiest experiences, actually, in terms of just kind of combinations of hardware and software for uh, for tracking, has got to be a D control and HD uh, and well HD as it would would have been then. It was pre HDX, but the right. thing that made that yeah. so nice was just being able to throw encoders down onto faders, sort out soloing up through the so you can hear the monitor mixes sending up, and also copy to sends. So you can duplicate mixes out onto faders, send them out to the people you need to whilst listening to it at the same time. It, everything about that works. But is D-Control yeah, really yeah. an analog console? No, 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 no. No, I know. I mean, people who'd, people who'd, who'd never used them was uh, used, to, used, to, used to say, oh, it's just a big mouse. And I to, anyone who says stuff like that about those things have yeah, really not used them enough. That's reductive, <laughs> uh, certainly. You know, hey, that's another another path for, for me, potentially. Uh, instead of going the analog console, going a, a, you know, I probably couldn't swing an S6, uh, certainly not one of the big ones, but something like an S4 was possibly doable, you know, capexed over five years and, you know, written down that way, you know, maybe I could do something like that. So here's would, a question. Oh, sorry, I'm talking over yeah. you there. But, um, no, it's fine. But I've got um, a lot of people want that console experience and people are looking around for ways to do it. I mean, if you've got if you've got the money and you've prepared to sink enough cash into it, then there are still options out there. And we've talked about, you know, you, you can buy uh, a, a nice SSL or API or there's a few kind of, you know, console-specific things coming and down. And they're cheap right now. I'm sorry? They're cheap right now. All of those things are quite cheap compared to what, you know, if you're buying a used console, people are getting out of console so quickly. Oh, right, yeah, no, I, yeah. I, was, talking, I was talking new there. Ah, right. Yeah. Um, and and also in the new thing, I mean, you, there's some extremely solid options uh, without going for that kind of, you know, top tier of stuff. I mean, Audion obviously are so popular just because they're kind of hitting a bit of a sweet spot between facilities and the big console experience without being, you know, Neve or SSL money necessarily. Now, there's a lot of secondhand stuff. Obviously, secondhand's a mixed blessing, but then you get people who really can't afford a proper console and they're looking for ways to do it. And if you go cheap enough, you know, I mean, there are reasons why people are getting rid of these nice consoles, and not all of them are because they're falling apart, but there are some ones that are kind of getting to that point where the maintenance versus the, you know, it's it's getting a bit tricky. I mean, a friend of mine quite locally some. Uh, got, got rid of his E-series relatively recently just because he was like, I'll oh, tell you what, this it's time. Um, good luck for whoever kind of has that, the owner after the next, do you see what I mean? The prognosis going down it isn't, isn't, yeah. looking, isn't looking too happy. But well, those, those big I'm, SSLs uh, come with a, you know, firstly they don't run on 13-amp power. You have to have, uh, I think it's 16-amp or 20-amp, in in your studio, which you may not have, particularly mm. if it's a new facility, and then there's, you know, that that series of console is uh, you know generates an awful lot of heat. You there is no way of not having aircon in your studio, so th- it's not just the cost of the console and, sure, and the cabling absolutely. and the we, and it's all of the other stuff. I don't know if I don't know if you'd have seen this. It was a while ago that we did it, but we ran a hypothetical thing on the site, 
about um, if you if you had to use it for a year and then it was yours to keep, but you had to use it every time you did any audio work, would you have? Um, and the, the example we had was knee series. It was picked yep. out the end, and <laughs> yeah, there was such a divide because you know, loads. I mean, some people unfortunately thought it was a, a genuine offer and there actually was yeah. a free oh, SSL oh, game. Oh, like, no, 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 no. This was just for fun. But when you factor everything in, it just comes down to how much you want it because it's not you know even if you don't have to pay for the console, it's it's not a free ride. Yeah. Um, but something I'm seeing more and more is people trying to kind of find ways around that. Something I'm still trying to make sense of is I saw a studio the other day using uh, using a like a big old Midas. I think it was a Heritage or something, but those kind of, you know, late period analog Midas boards. Um, and I'm trying to figure out how that works. Because I mean, those I've I've worked on those big sort of big, you know, um, heritage heritage thousands things like that, and they're glorious things. They really are. But I'm trying to figure out how how practical a proposition they are for because they're not designed for it at all. And how do you how do you do it? I mean, you can bodge your workflow together so that you can have this thing in your studio and get some work done. But it strikes me as an uphill struggle, frankly. I mean, well, that- I'm you know I can. I can tell you what I did, which was uh, in 04, 05, I was in Switzerland at a studio called QLab uh, run by uh, a chap called Daniel Platisa. And he had a big Neve in, in that room, uh, which was wonderful. And, you know, my first time of working on a, you know, a proper, a proper Neve. Um, I got the console bug at that point, And one of the techs in the studio um, pointed me to a little 16 channel DNR. Uh, it was a series 4000, which wasn't properly working, so I bought it for five hundred uh, Swiss francs, and then we we repaired it uh, to get it working. And then I found a load of channels and a bigger power supply um, on the Vintage King, I think, uh, site in the US. And by that time, I was living in the States, so I built myself this uh, forty-channel DNR wow. uh, Series four thousand console, and um, you know. Uh, <laughs> It was wonderful, and I and I really enjoyed it. But it was also, you know, hey, here's some crosstalk. Yeah. Uh, so so the you know it was a fun thing to do, and I enjoyed it. It wasn't a, a step up in terms of tone or sound, or uh, still found myself using it to track through. And then at that point, I was still in uh, Pro Tools HD. I wasn't yet in HDX because it wasn't out. Uh, so I'd be in, in HD and anything that once it was in the computer, uh, it would stay there. I wouldn't take it out and try and mix on the console. Sure. And it was a bit noisy and eventually um, and what happened it broke. With, with drop-ins or something like that? Well, yeah, exactly. Because so. I've had this conversation about there's such value around um, uh, live live digital consoles at the moment. If you just want something that's kind of really useful just for pushing a lot of processing, a lot of routing, but how do you how do you make it all work and I've I've yet to see a convincing a convincing workflow with that. I've I I may not have thought about it hard enough, but yeah, there's there's got to be a way. Um so uh James, when when did you last do a session recording with an analog console? It was, uh, well, it was on that DNR in the studio in New Jersey. Uh, so that would have been 2007. Okay. Uh, and I, when I moved back to the UK, I didn't have the space for it, so I sold it um, and then stayed in the box and, and, until now, really, you know. So. Interesting. That's mm. interesting. Um, I'm gonna, when yeah, did I last do it? 
Yeah. Yeah. When did I last it? Probably around the same time, around 2007, something like that. I this was in a this was in a teaching studio. I took a, I I moved to a moved to a new job, new studio. Went in and they had a digital console running to ADATS, which was my idea of hell on earth for mm-hmm. me to use, let alone to explain to people how to use it. It was just like, no, absolutely not. And luckily I had enough flexibility to be able to do pretty much what I wanted to. So um, I got Pro Tools into that studio and um, and I got a – it was a Soundcraft Ghost, mm. 8-bus Soundcraft Ghost, which was a modest little board, but it was okay, actually. I mean, it's not, yeah. not, not a bad thing. Um, and – yeah, that kind of existed for a while. It further cemented my low opinion of patch bays, frankly, just because I do think patch bays are very much a mixed blessing. If you can avoid them, then do. Um, but yeah, around about the same kind of time. And yeah, a lot to be said for it, awful lot not to be said for it, um, to be honest. Uh, but yeah, that's a, a, a whole that's a black hole I don't want to disappear down, to be honest. Hmm. What, what, was your, th- what was your concern with patch bays? Patch bays? Uh, hmm. um, maintenance. <laughs> Yeah, right. just maintenance, um, and and also just the amount of people who think they want a patch bay, and then when they've got one, they don't actually use it as much as they think they will. Um, yeah, I remember, see, I I do have patch bays. I've got five of them, um, uh, and but, I bet they're proper bantam patch bays. at probably. Oh right. yeah, no, these yeah, are audio absolutely. accessories. Yeah, yeah. You know, one and a half rack units, properly labelled, and you know, and if it's I, properly done, fantastic. Um, my and, and my idea the, of hell on earth is is a is an A gauge GPO patch field around around students because they will stick TRS. <laughs> That's exactly what I was about to say, is that my problem with patch bays isn't the patch bay, it's when you have to share the space with people who don't know what they're doing and they put, you know, the inputs on top and, you know, they don't understand what normaling schemes are and and can't... can't work with it in a logical way. Absolutely. That's Uh, the the problem for me. The story that illustrates my point probably best is that... um, is that I remember spending a couple of days wiring in a load of load of outboard that I was going, no one's going to use this stuff, and it wasn't it wasn't great stuff for that same studio, and um, I wired it all in beginning of the academic year, so that would have been I put it in probably in July, uh, ready for ready for you know September, and in April the the tutor who'd been campaigning the previous year for uh, uh, to get all of this gear patched in and everything right um, came in and said, "Oh, there's, there's something wrong. I think the I think these compressors are, are wired in upside down." And he was right; they were. So I, you know, uh, um, patched the wrong way around. And the fact that he hadn't noticed until April. Hmm told me everything I needed to know about it. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's the problem with a hybrid workflow is it is easy to just keep it in the box, you know, keep everything in the box. I'm still going to use a stock compressor rather than, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, So my my thing with, with uh, with analog consoles is, yeah, great, great fun. Would I have one? No, no, absolutely not. The reason everyone's getting out of getting out of consoles is recall, as far as I can tell. I, uh, people who who True. don't have uh, material restrictions in terms of you know, I mean, people who can who if they want one can have one and can fund it and can accommodate it and all of those things, they're still ditching them. Uh, Andrew Sheps is selling his his Neve. How much? <laughs> Uh, I don't know, but on the broker's site, it was in the property section with actual buildings. So I don't think it's going to be cheap. 
Yeah, I wouldn't but, think uh, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and as far as I can see, the reason why is just because he's gone, I tell you what, I don't need this, and everybody wants revisions. It's just assumed now, and you can't... Mm. I mean, how long is it since you've seen a, seen a console with a bit of paper on it saying, mix in progress, do not touch? You know, I mean, just the idea. Yeah, yeah well, so this, I, this gets back to my point of saying, it, you know, it might be, for me, a tracking thing. Um, th- there is no way that I could mix with an analog board, uh, even with one with really good recall, because I just end up doing, you know, half a dozen versions of, of uh, sorry, half a dozen revisions of whatever I'm working on. That's that's pretty normal. But for tracking, I think it is, um, you know, still a viable way of working. Uh, I really do. I, I, Hands-on, I agree completely. Um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, getting things moving nice and quickly. I really like just the idea. I mean, I didn't really get things like the box. I spent a bit of time um, talking to talking to Larry at API um, when I was at NAM, mm. and uh, we were we were looking at the box in particular, and uh, and one of his guys was showing me this, and I'd, I'd never really quite got it because it always struck me as rather input light. <laughs> yeah, uh, see, I'd kind of want the other way round. I'd be quite happy, you know. I I don't particularly I'm like summing that. boxes. Yeah. I don't. I don't. I've never heard a summing box that sounds necessarily better it just sounds different um the two to you know a two stereo out of uh, pro tools or, or logic um but what i could do with is 24 channels into um an audio interface that you know on faders that would be all i really need um the thing that i really like with that with analog an analog console is just being able to route to different group outputs and run to any track quickly so when you're building up things you can just to, to here to something there, to there. that's nice and yeah. quick and if it's hands-on and tactile but if it's just hands-on and tactile you don't need anything analog about it you just need a properly thought out control surface the thing that i would say is i mean i would have a I, well and I, I do have an analog an analog mixer but we're talking about a little notepad mixer very cheap thing things like that are invaluable when you're just trying yeah. to bodge your way around something get something yeah. to happen and you can't quite and it's all oh, just just need to be able to do. great and i mean i the idea that that was actually what i thought when i saw the um the little ssl notepad for the six and i thought actually good just because we always end up using budgety things for that because it's it, you don't really get many quality um notepad mixes there seems yeah, to be that the six thing between small great. and cheap and it's like why is it small and cheap you know why can't we have small and not necessarily expensive but of good quality um but the thing that i 100 think that uh, an analog uh, an analog aspect to is extremely useful is for is for headphone sends absolutely setting up yeah. the cubics all that stuff i mean i'm saying you you can do copy to send and all that stuff but it's very tactile and very analog like one of the best things I've ever used for this was, have you ever heard of uh, O2 Audio? No, was it O2 or Oz? Oz or O2? I can't quite remember. I think it was Oz, yes. Made a thing called a Qmix. Have you ever heard of this? No. no. Looks no, like, it looks like, it. I, I don't think they make it anymore. But um, uh, looking at a picture of it, actually, it, I think it, I think, yes, it's Oz, it's not O2. Um, anyway, they, uh, it looks like a notepad mixer. Still chassis, what? And all it is is it's just it's a matrix. It's a matrix mixer, come headphone amp. So it's got a few channels of discrete headphone amp, and then it's got different channels feeding into it, and you can dial in very quickly on on a kind of matrix type affair, just off analog pots, 
a bit of this onto that, a bit of that onto that. And if you're just sending out flavours of thing out of your session, then you can have that out in the live room and people can quickly dial in what they need. If you go to Capital or somewhere like that, they've got little, uh, I think they're Mackies actually, but little like 16-channel rack mount mixes on trolleys with the headphones and you can just pop them on. There you go. Um, for exactly yeah. that reason that kind of, you know, musicians, performers understand analog consoles or a, a lot of them do a lot more than than doing something with uh, something menu driven or something like that and that's a that's a place where i think I'd, i wish actually someone would make something like that because i've i remember looking for one a while ago and i couldn't find one anywhere and here the most- do something with um you know like a dante box that spits out to a little controller that the the talent have in front of them that gives them more them or more other you know, the other instruments. I use a Focusrite X2P, it's, uh, an audio interface that they uh, that has a couple of uh, Dante mic preamps in it, and it gives the talent the ability to uh, blend between themselves and whatever they're getting um, as a oh, stereo. Oh, definitely. The more me approach yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Definitely. And, and that's what I find they really want. They don't really, you know, for, if it's a vocalist, they don't really care about getting a, a well-balanced drum mix. Like, very rarely do they say, oh, I want to hear a bit more snare or I want to hear a bit more kick. And they always can just do that and I can do it for them. Really what they want is either more or less of themselves. That's really what it comes down to. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, Alan Heath, they do, they do a great system. So those kind of and, – and that's actually somewhere where the, the network thing, once it's set up – and it's ready to go is incredibly useful just because of that network distribution of being able to just have everything available everywhere without worrying about it. That's all the stuff that analog's bad at. No cabling, you know, my, no, my no whole... splits, you know, I don't have to worry yeah, about how many exactly. ways you're doing stuff. And I mean, people and all of the nasties that come from passive splits as well, because all of these things, whenever they're done, unless they're, unless someone's got a proper budget, they're never done active. They're always just, uh, um, I mean, very often they're, they're, they're entirely passive splits without transformers or anything. And that really is a recipe for, uh, for issues. Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay. We should move things on, but, uh, Eli, tell us about the competitions. During the month of May, we're running a prize draw competition for existing Isotope product owners to give the winners the opportunity to win everything else that Isotope makes that you don't already own. To enter, you need to own a paid-for Isotope product. First prize is every Isotope product in their range that you don't already own, and where appropriate, the advanced version. Second prize is every Isotope product in their range that you don't already own, and where appropriate, the standard version. And third prize is their Spire Studio recording system, as long as you own a paid-for Isotope product. Great. So talking about number two, <laughs> this is, we're just digging deep on the, on the, on the gear stuff, really, aren't we? Um, what do you use on your master bus? Uh, who wants to go first on that? Uh, I think, James, what do you use on your master bus? Uh, yeah, so mostly I favour hardware. Um, so I have, um, you know, I have a couple of nice bits of kit. I've got a, a manly, massive, passive EQ and a pair of, uh, empiric- a pair of empirical labs, little freaks uh, for EQ um, compression. I have a Cranesong STC8, um, a G-Bus uh, SSL compressor and the SSL Fusion. Um, it does tend to be a bit of a... Uh, you know, the, the hardware seems to rotate in and out from time to time. I sometimes buy and sell things, but this is what I've settled on for a while. Okay, um, so let me think this through again. So you said you've got the Massive Passive, okay. You've got yeah. the um, 
you've got the crane song and that's a vca compressor ssl yep. style you've got the i don't know the empirical box i don't know that little i know of it but i've i've i know nothing about it really it's a pair of mono compressors um and i guess they're a little bit nevy but there's you know quite a few bands and and i you know i can also use it for tracking i to be honest i mostly use that for tracking okay. and i do tend to go for the massive passive but if i'm you know if i'm using the massive passive on a, i don't know a drum bus at that point in time then um then i might use the little freaks and what was the last thing you mentioned there was four things you said fusion right? ssl fusion oh, fusion of course i know that yeah. one and that's that's that seems to be very well thought of i haven't tried it but i know James Ivy tried it and he he thought it was fantastic. I'm, I'm sure it he is fantastic. To buy it. Yeah, yeah, and it's you know considering what it costs, which I think is about half the value of the, or half the cost of the uh, the Neve the um, Master Bus com- compressor, the Rupert Neve Designs version. Um, it it does a hell of a lot. I particularly like the high frequency compressor for you know cooling hi hats down a bit um, if if things have got a bit out of control there. Um, yeah, so I, I tend to do that and have everything on, um, I've got everything on Bantam patch base, but I'll create a little patch chain and have it on a, a, a Pro Tools orgs. Um, but obviously you then lose the ability to recall. In some instances, in some instances that's a problem. Um, but say, for example, with the G-Bus compressor, it pretty much lives on one setting with very few changes anyway. Um, Funny you say that. We might come back to that, but yeah, keep going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but in terms of plugins, it, it, you know, it's kind of funny. Most of my hardware purchases uh, have been based on me using the software equivalent. Hmm. So I, I bought a massive passive hardware version because I'd use the, um, uh, the the UAD plugin, um, and at that point was n- I was not using an Apollo, so I couldn't have it um, at l- necessarily low latency to to be able to use for tracking uh, or, or to be able to mix, uh, to, to record overdubs through because of the latency of using a UAD2. Uh, you know, it's, that's less of a problem now that I've got an Apollo that I can work with. But um, I, I, I just wanted that hardware um, to, to mess about with really. And, you know, I, f- when I find these things cheap enough on eBay, I pick them up and have a play around with them for six months or a year. Sometimes they stay with me, sometimes they don't. Um, okay, the, so the ma- this is this is uh, mixed bus stuff. Do you do you master your stuff? Do you? No, no, I don't. Okay. I don't go down that road at all. Sure. No mixtering. This is a phrase that a friend I really don't like. Used it. To use yeah. Mixtering. <laughs> yeah. So for me, the point of mastering is to have another set of ears in another room, and if they're still my ears in my room, then what's the point? Mm-hmm. And for me, the way I the way I work, uh, uh, the mastering engineers I I use. It's more about the relationship and you talk about the project and you sometimes come up with a running order different to the way in which you uh, maybe thought going in. So, no, for me, mastering is not just about, uh, you know, getting levels up, making it loud. It's, uh, it's more personal than that. What about, what about tape, either real or emulated? Um, yeah, so for a long time I was using the Slate um, tape Plug-in, I forget Oh, that's exactly subtle. I've got that. VCC? Yeah. Uh, that's, no, that's the no, console no. emulator. Oh, right, right. Um, no, virtual the tape machine. VT, TVVT, whatever it is. VTM, but, I think, yeah. Yeah, VTM, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But no, yeah. I, 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 I got that a long time ago. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's a really subtle one, that is. that's uh, it's, it's not shouting about it being there, really, is it? Yeah. Which is, uh, but, which is the point, I suppose, but... 
Yeah, and so I'll throw that up on all the channels as well, at least I, I was. Um, now I tend to use the UAD Studio um, or I use the uh, Fatso occasionally. Okay. Eli, what about you? Um, no, I have nowhere near as sexy an answer as that. I, mean, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> I don't a, think either of us are going to. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm a simple in the box guy. Uh, for, you know, for generally, you know, this mindset of they say you should always be sort of tracking and mixing and working with your plugins in place on your master bus. And, you know, in my basic template, I start off always with either the Puig Child, uh, you know, the, the uh, emulation from, from Waves, the Puig Child 670, mm -hmm. or the SSL bus compressor. So I've got one of those usually on my master bus, and I just always have it there as I'm working, whether it's tracking or mixing, and I just work into it. And then when it comes time to finally mix, generally that's all I leave on my master bus. I'll put some EQ there if I need to. Um, nothing fancy, you know, just Logic's built-in EQ is fine. But my simple answer is I've always got either a Puig Child or an SSL bus compressor that I'm mixing into. And, you know, unless I'm, you know, putting something on the stereo out to give like a, you know, when you're talking about ma mastering your own music, there's a term I've heard called a heater version where, you know, you're not going to master it, but you want to deliver it for 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 approval, you know, with some levels that are going to be kind of in place to where they're going to be once it's mastered. So I often output a mix, and I don't call it mastering. I, I wouldn't wouldn't call it that in a second, but a heater mix with something like Elevate, you know, from Newfangled Audio on the output, um, or or the ML uh, one for, from um, McDSP, you know, as a master bus limiter, and I'll output my mix with that on it just to give you know a hotter version for client approval, but. Uh, notwithstanding that, generally just the SSL or the Puig Child and possibly some EQ. Okay. So with the SSL, are you using um, a version that has some sort of high-pass filter on it? Yeah, I don't use that. I'm using the Waves version, and I, I have, like, as neutral settings as possible. I have it at, like, 2 to 1 and the low, you know, the easiest, gentlest threshold, so it's just barely triggering it, you know, and never getting a couple more than a couple of dB of, uh, you know, of compression happening. And, um, you know, it colors the sound in its way that, that you know, that we all like from, from you know, from that plug-in. And, um, but I'm, I'm, lately I'm really liking the Puig Child for um, a master bus. I, I find I really like what that does. That's interesting because I, I just, I don't get Fairchild. I just, yeah, I've said it, <laughs> I just don't really get it. Um, tracking, yeah, okay. I mean, I've used them before on sort of really obvious stuff on sort of like drums and bass and things a bit. Um, and I, I'm okay with that, but I've never put one anywhere near a bus just because I'm just, oh, yeah, oh no, I just, I, I find it's a bit far out of my comfort zone. It's one of those things actually that you just need to spend some time with. And actually there's a, there's a little bit of a learning curve of, of learning. Yeah. It's, it's just a bit of sprinkling fairy dust also. Like it does its magic. What I find unusual about the Fairchild compared to most compressors that usually sort of dull the high end a bit, this one seems to brighten up the high end a little bit. And that's part of what I like about it. I, I don't feel too bad about kind of saying, oh, I don't really get Fairchild just because the amount of people that I hear about kind of like, you know, your, your big name guys um, uh, who who just use them for colour. Yeah. And they just put them on no compression. Yeah. And, and I'm just thinking, is that because of the colour or is that because you go, oh, that's as far as I can be bothered to go with that one. And then just use a normal <laughs> compressor for compression. No, <laughs> I, it does have its own sound. I find, again, just at, at the, you know, ease, lightest threshold settings or time constant settings and just, just so it's just barely triggering the, the meter, it gives a nice 
color that that I think sort of enhances the high end, which is unusual for for compression. But I just like the way it does that. I I I, I totally it's almost like an exciter a bit almost. The, the the only places where I've really kind of gone, oh yeah, yeah, really like that is kind of like uh, basses, pianos. It's kind of cool, and um, and and drums like kicks, especially actually, they can be really good. But okay. but that's doing really kick. obvious stuff with it. Yeah. But yeah, I just I, I find I tend to go too far with it. That's what it is. It's a bit like. Mm. Do you remember the? Um, UBK1, Kush Audio, UBK1. Yeah, Yeah, great plugin. Great plugin. I never ever use, I love it, but I never use it. Had it for years just because I always end up going way too far with it. I find it impossible Mm. to use tastefully. And I just end up doing like like stupid, ridiculous, squishy compression and going, oh, well, that was a distraction. I better get back to actually doing some work and just take it off and use something sensible. See, I use that a lot on guitar buses, on crunchy guitar buses. Hmm. I just particularly like what it does to the upper which, mids. Which, which one? Which setting? Oh, God. I, I don't have it in front of me. Yeah, uh, is, it's, it smack? The, is it Smack? Is that the one? The Squish is one. Maybe and, Squish. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's it, yeah, it's a really interesting plugin, and I really like just the way that it gives you such vague visual feedback. It's like, no, just listen. But mm. I always end up going too far. I just yeah, it's it's a. I've described it as being it's it's like a two stripe motorbike I had when I was sixteen. <laughs> and it was the kind of thing that you couldn't ride slowly. I knew that as a good person, I should respect the speed limit. And this thing felt like it was going to die unless I accelerated it really hard. And yeah, I had to get rid of it because it was I, I, too difficult. I'm also a biker and, and I had a, a, a super bike, which I quickly realised that if I don't sell this thing, I'm going to die. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I sold it. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I do get that. You know, and, and plugins can be a little bit like that. So... What's I guess what's interesting in how I work with the massive passive hardware is quite different from the way I work with the software. You know, the software, if I need to instantiate two or three massive passives across a session, I, I can. It's a plug-in and I can be quite uh, heavy-handed with it. And there's something about having a piece of hardware, you know, for me it's in a, a rack by my, uh, by my right knee and I reach down and I'm, I'm sort of twiddling the knobs and, and trying to stay in the sweet spot. Um, you know, the, the way in which you use the hardware equivalent is different from the way in which you use the plugin. Mm. And there's something just satisfying. And I guess that comes back to the console question. You know, I, you, you can do all the same things in, um, in software, in, you know, different configuration windows in Pro Tools or in your uh, audio interfaces hardware control panel. But just having it in front of you is is a, a different way of working, and you know I particularly just like to work with hardware. I guess. You see, uh, what I'd say an equivalent to that, um, I've I have two pieces of hardware that aren't preamps actually, and I and I haven't plugged them in in years, and they're nothing what fancy. What are they? Oh no, the 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 utility stuff. It's not even studio gear. I've got an, I've got an old Clark Technic EQ that's that's quite fun, but that's from live mm. days, you know, before. Yeah. Um, this is like you know when Clark Technic was Clark Technic, and an old DBX compressor. But yeah, it's would I? No, I'm never going to plug those yeah, in. Again. I have an old DBX compressor too, and I can't bring myself to get rid of it. And I haven't plugged it in in yeah, years. Yeah, sure. It's, is it a, it's, it's, it's rack fillers. It's you know. Yeah. Is it a two six six XL? Yeah, I think it is. Yeah, yeah, it's I've got one, one of those two. Yeah. yeah, I always think, oh, in case I need it, you know, an extra track, an extra mic, an extra instrument here, and I need an extra compressor, but I'm never going to need it. I've, I've just got it actually, just because I've because I have it, and I I'm very bad at selling things that I don't use. But uh, both of those things, just if I if I actually want 
to do something. And it, if it's ever going to get used, it's going to get used for something live for just kind of like, you know, helping someone out with a pub gig kind of thing. And yeah. they've got like speakers on sticks and a rubbish mixer amp and here, this will help. Hasn't happened yet, but I, that's the only circumstance I can imagine it being used. Right. Master bus stuff and what I was sa- what you were saying about hardware and how you treat it differently. I wrote a little list and looking down it, so many of the things are, 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 U, are UAD plugins. And that's because I've got more um, to play with now because I've got a satellite. But for years and years, I've only had an Apollo Twin Duo. And because of that, you can't run much of anything, really. You can run any of the plugins, but you can like, run, run or one or two. And because of, because of that, I've tended to reserve them for cases where I'd only use one or two, like on the master bus. So looking at it, so many of mine are UAD plugins for that reason. They, in my head, they're slightly like hardware because until recently I couldn't run that many of them. Clearly it wasn't mm. that much of a priority because, you know, but actually I got this because I wanted to use the the tape plugins properly. And you've got to run multiple instances. They can so cross I, so all I the got, channels. Yeah. So I, I like their oxide satellite. tape. Yeah. yeah. The oxide one I find pretty stuff. I mean, looking at this, at, uh, on my list, I've got, I've got, broadly speaking, two categories. Stuff that I, magic bullets that just make it go away. And I don't actually see that much wrong with that, actually. <laughs> and and then stuff that's kind of like gear nerdy stuff. And I was looking at thinking, what do I actually use? If I want something to make stuff sound better, this goes against everything I stand for because I'm very much kind of like, learn what you're doing, don't take shortcuts, you know, practice and learn and discover what your tools do and how they work properly and presets are bad and all these kind of things. Um, Sugar from Process Audio. Hmm. Ever tried that? No, I've heard brilliant. about it. Brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. I was quite suspicious of it when I tried it. And I went, actually, this is really good. And something I've, that's only just kind of occurred to me recently is kind of like, you can actually use it anywhere. Of course, you can use it on tracks. And that's something I just didn't really try at the time because I saw it as very much a thing to go on buses. Not just on, necessarily on masters, but it's really good. And yeah, not something that I'd approve of normally if I'm being kind of my sort of slightly uppity self. But no, I, it is really good. Good job. The other it, one is, is so. Is, what, is, what does it do? What does exactly? it do? It, 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 it sweetens things. It's uh, you have to check it out. Basically, it's, <laughs> right. what it is is it's got four different processing bands, um, and you can dial in different amounts of each. There's not a huge amount to play with on each. And something I really quite like is you've got this big master dial in the middle, so it proportionally scales the amounts of these different things, and there's two flavours of each in each band. Um, and you can dial in or dial back the overall amount of processing, keeping the relative amounts of processing that you've set up. Right. So that sounds not unlike um, Inflator. The ah, inflator's on, inflator's on there. But no, it's, 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 it's much more in-depth than Inflator. Inflator is, is, is a, you know, a full bandwidth, you know, single yeah, sure. process mm-hmm. um and i love inflator i mean it is it is magic it really is it's the most fantastic thing the other thing on those kind of like just fix it you know and let me get on with my day is master desk yeah brainworks master that. desk really the UAD like version it's brilliant yeah. for just yeah. kind of like and the thing i really like about it is it's um uh, it's it's all based around dynamic range and it's really, really useful if you just want to just kind of quickly dial something in that just kind of like, yes, does all that kind of stuff. Uh, perfect for the kind of the client approval job. You don't want to spend yeah. a lot of time on it. But the, there you go, something that makes it sound like a record and it's not squished. 
Yeah. What I really like about Master Desk is the ranges of, of all their parameter values are so narrow that you can't, it's kind of a do no harm, yeah. you know, kind of kind of range. But I, I use Elevate for that. Have you, have you, have I've, you I've not trying? used that one, no. Oh, it's really nice. But anyway, but yeah, no, I like Master Desk too. It's, uh, I, I like it a lot. It feels yeah. like a bit of a cheat, but but proper um, proper uh, master, master bus stuff. Um, there's always going to be a compressor on there and, and always going to be an EQ. And apart from that, there might be something else as well. And there's loads, of, and this is something I, I chop and change a lot, but if I've got a regular, um, it's a G-Bus compressor, usually UAD actually, and that's just because it's the hardware one that I've used the most. I've used those a lot. And it took a long time for me to get it to see what the fuss was. And once you kind of tune into it, you go, actually, yeah, and this does, you know, and I think I think because of the way people talk about it, if you haven't used one, you expect it to be a lot more colourful than it is. Right. Because it's not. It's, yeah, it was designed true. to be a transparent compressor, you know, and it's not transparent, but it was designed to be. So don't expect it to, you know. There's a really good G-Bus that I like called um, The Glue. I know it, yeah, yeah. By Cytomic, yeah. That's yeah. probably, after the UAD version, it's probably my favourite uh, plug-in equivalent. Mm. So you um, like the UAD version better than the Waves one? Have you tried the Waves SSL? Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've, for, for I've me, got the Waves yeah. one. It's the only, the, the SSL suite's the only uh, yeah. only Waves product I own, and I haven't updated it since version 6. <laughs> yeah. I should right, check yeah. out the UAD version more, because I, yeah. I have it, and I should try that But what one. I'd say yeah. is, it, what, this thing about kind of getting to know a compressor, you do need to spend time getting to know those kinds of compressors. Yeah. And, and something that I've got quite into much more recently, it's something I didn't pay much attention to, but I spent some time with the hardware version and went, actually, this is kind of cool. And spent much more time with the plugin is the thirty three six oh nine, which is something I always pass by. And yeah. that, if I want something that does the SSL thing, but more, it's yeah. not the same thing. But it's that kind of sort of uh, um, really nicely controllable, great across a bus, all about what it kind of does around the snare, especially off the back of the snare. But just want more color out of it. Then thirty three six oh nine is brilliant. Uh, you know, getting back to my point of um, software, um, use of software plugins has informed my uh, purchase of hardware. The next hardware uh, compressor I'm going to buy is the 33609 because of the UAD version that I've used. Yeah, and they, they're it. just kind of – they for, for things that are a bit busier, rockier stuff, great every time. I just absolutely love it. Um, getting on to really colourful stuff, though, um, I was thinking what do I like and – have you tried the curve bender? The uh, soft tube no. did it on UAD. Yes, love that. Absolutely love that. Um, it, don't actually use it much, but really, really like that. Um, but there's some other stuff, and I mean, I've got to mention inflator. So something else that's really worth a go is is Goldfoss, which if you're yeah, just kind of like, ah, and it's it, it either works or it doesn't. But stuff it works on, it's it's really good. It's a little um, bit like Oak Sound in that regard, then. I haven't used that one, but smooth, I have heard too, I, yeah. it, there's clearly some similarities. Definitely, definitely. Um, but the other one that I definitely I, I'll mention, and I think what I'm what I'm getting around to on this is that for, for compression, uh, I think I like VCA type stuff. Really, um, is that the Vertigo uh, VSC two? Have you used that one? I haven't. Yeah, I've got um, the Brainworks uh, versions, the native version. I don't mm. have the UAD version. Great, great thing, and I, yeah, I just I really like that. As goes as goes uh, EQ stuff. Apart from massive passive, which everyone's all over, um, uh, um, 
uh, and the curve bender, which I mentioned. Um, the Clarifonic, I've always said the Kush Clarifonic is just brilliant. I absolutely love it. It's a, it's quite greedy natively, but it's it's something that I kind of, yeah, I tend to use where a lot of people might use a Poltec in that kind of thing. It's that Clarifonic's great. It's not the same at all, but it's kind of, it's a really nice top-end EQ. So, yeah. Definitely worth checking out. Right, and is that based on a hardware equivalent? Yeah, yeah. Th- there is a hardware box that that Kush make. Yeah, and uh, I, I, it's cream chicken chicken head knobs and brown interface and stuff. And it's just yeah, it's it. it's got no frequencies on it or anything like that. It's just uh, it's just a character EQ that's uh, called things like you know Sheen and stuff like that. You know, and you just dial it in, and you can it it's it's a thing that that just never sounds harsh. So, yeah. So, what do you do? You like um, you know not having any sort of metric on you know some of the plugins or, or some of the hardware? I personally, I kind of like to know. Okay, I'm doing no, I don't. Of- it goes against and something I really dislike <laughs> is yeah. um, these kind of uh, signature plugins where it's like, oh, just dial this in, and I go, I want to know what it's doing. Uh, yeah. I want to know what – this is clearly a macro controlling a few different parameters. Let me see what the parameters are doing. My favourite example of this, actually, has got to be the Softube S73, which is great, actually. I, that's, that's another – I don't really use that just because I kind of, I don't know, sort of, you know how you do. There's no reason why I'm not using it apart from I'm just not. We're all drowning in options with plugins, yeah, I think, of course, is of part course. of the problem. Option paralysis yeah. and all of that. But um, mm. but the the full version of that, the uh, is it the 1973? But anyway, it's yeah. this, it's it's basically it lifts the lid on what's going on underneath underneath the hood in S seventy three, and you can call up the same presets that you have and see actually what they're doing in this multi band compressor. It's 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 quite satisfying if you're like me and I want to know what's going on underneath the hood. So. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you have ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you will know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be. And even on a good day, it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN-equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser. No software to install. Get your free account follow the link in the podcast notes. Okay, so find of the week. This is sponsored by RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio is up and running remotely. Their team is set up and working from the safety of their homes and their sales staff are available by phone, live chat or email to receive and process orders. They have everything you need to build or upgrade your home studio and ensure you can continue to work from home. If there's anything they can do for you, please don't hesitate to reach out or shop online at rspeaudio.com. Okay, so find of the week. Uh, so, James, tell us. Right, yeah. So my find of the week is a guitar pedal, actually. Uh, it's a, a API Transformer, trans with a Z, a GT pedal. Um, it's, it's a really fantastic little pedal. I found it on uh, one of the guitar forums I'm frequently on. Uh, which how I often end up buying things. Um, so API do two versions, a GT version for guitar and an LX version for bass. And it's basically a guitar preamp with a 525 style compressor and a 553 uh, three-band EQ with the 2520 op amp in there. 
the compressor basically has six settings and it goes from two to one to 20 to one with auto gain makeup. And the EQ is at 200, 1.5 and 5K on the guitar version. Um, you can foot switch the compressor and EQ in and out and the attack and release times are fixed at uh, five mil milliseconds and 100 milliseconds. Uh, so it has 30 dB of gain and it's plenty and uh, for, for what I need it for has separate gain and level control. So you can get it really running quite hot without cooking your, um, your AD stage out. Um, you know, I find it great for tone shaping guitars on the way into a hardware amplifier or with one of the guitar modelers like an XFX or a Kemper um, or going straight into your uh, converters and um, uh, to use with a modeling plugin. Uh, I've also used it on, on bass, but um, not with the EQ because it's not quite the right frequencies for a bass. And it's, it's just a big substantial thing. It's a big, heavy old beast. It's about four times the size of a regular guitar pedal. And, it, you know, it feels like a substantial thing that you're using. Uh, so I, I'm not sure I'd put it on a gigging pedal board. Um, but, you know, something quite fun and reassuring about how, how weighty it, it is. And it sounds great. And it's got API knobs on it. It's got API knobs on it. It, it just feels like a cool <laughs> thing to have in your studio, you know. Uh, and, you know, I think they're 300 and something pounds, something like that. Okay. Uh, I might be wrong. That's uh, might be what I paid for it. Let me let me have a look and see what they are. It looks at five seven nine dollars is what I'm seeing. Right. So it's it's yeah. it's it's not they're not giving them away, but it is API, I suppose. So that shouldn't be that much of a surprise. But yeah, no, it looks like uh, a great you know, thing. Five hundred twenty quid. Yeah. So four four three two x vat. So excellent. Uh, Eli, what about you? Easy Bass from Toontrack. I've been uh, spending a lot of time with it lately. I'm working on some Groove 3 videos. I'm really enjoying it. I, you know, I, I, it kind of does have something for everyone, like I wrote in my review. It, you know, if you're not too experienced a user, you can press their Groove button, enter a couple of chords, and it'll generate a part for you. But if you are more experienced, like I consider myself not an inexperienced programmer. I'm used to programming up my own bass parts. They have some really sophisticated options in their Groove engine that make it really very appealing. A couple of things I really like about it is, you know, these kind of like UJAM also has, you know, these, these libraries that ship with a big MIDI file library that you have to search to to find the part you like. They have some interesting search options in EasyBase. You can tap in a rhythm you know, that you're looking for, and it'll return results based on the rhythm you tapped in. So, you know, aside from just searching with Boolean operators and, you know, tags and metadata and family and type and tempo and style and genre and that kind of stuff, you can actually tap in a, temp a, a rhythm and it'll calculate that and return results for you. You can even actually play in a few notes, like on your keyboard, play a couple of notes in of a, the type of thing you're looking for. And it it's pretty, pretty comprehensive and it, it, it returns, it's very useful. And what I also really like about it is, you know, with all these sampled instruments, it's all about articulation switching, and that, that's what really breathes life into them. And they really take care of it behind the scenes for, again, users who don't want to dig too deep. A lot of these patterns, they have all great metadata in there to switch articulations with little mutes and slaps and slides and that kind of thing. And, you know, if you want to dig in deeper, you can go into their editor, which is like a full-fledged piano roll style editor, and you can go in and edit the articulations of individual notes and all that. And I'm actually just about to dive in and explore that aspect of it now in, in the videos I'm working on. But um, it's great. It really offers, I think, something for users of all levels from, from you know, beginner to advanced users who want to get into some serious articulation management. It's it, And it sound you know, they sound great. There's two sample sets, a, a vintage bass and a modern bass, and they sound fantastic. Yeah, Julian, what about you? What's your find of the week? 
Okay, I, this is this is a struggle just because I went. I know what I'll do, and I realised that I'm going to say exactly the same thing as I did last time. I mentioned something very similar. Um, I when I was talking about the uh, LP6 monitors from Carly, I said I've only just put them in the studio. I've only just run them up for just like five minutes, so I, it's too early for me to say really what I think about them. But and. I've just done exactly the same thing with a set of uh, IN8 monitors from Carly. I've literally just put them up. I listened to like one and a half tracks through them off of Tidal and went, hey. And I went, I can't possibly just leave it at that of like, oh, yeah, you know what I did last time? I've just done it again. I will say these are, are amazing. The three-way dual concentric monitors, they're really good <laughs> is all mm. I'll say. I'm going to give them a lot more thought and there will be something coming presently when I, a more considered opinion. But they are. Yeah, very impressive. They are they're a lot better than the LP6s. Um anyway, yes, great. that's those and they are amazing. But instead of that, I, what I'm going to say is I'm going to say throughout this podcast record I have been standing up at my standing desk and I was making noises about uh spending not not inconsequential amounts of money on a on a sit stand desk. Is this the IKEA one? No. No. No, because that may have been may have been good enough or may not have been it really depends because yeah i had misgivings about uh, about movement about rocking and and we spoke about that briefly because you had the 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 less sturdy version and said that that was kind of not really up to it yeah i'm I'm actually at it at the moment and um you know are you sitting or standing i'm actually sitting Um, there you go you see no i've taken the hardcore option which is i've just gone with a table i've already got and I bought some breakfast bar legs, 25 quid, screwed them on at the weekend, and I'm now standing and I have no sit option. That's it. And uh, it's 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 a little Heath Robinson. There won't be any photos coming because it just looks like a, t- a table with really, really long legs, which is what it is. But uh, And it also wobbles a bit, and I've had to kind of – it's not at the moment, but I've had to do some slightly more Heath Robinson things to make sure it doesn't move because otherwise it was something of a moving target. But it's okay, and it's steady enough, and it's all good, and everything's working. So is this an office thing or a studio thing? No, this is well, the, what passes for my studio, which is – yeah, yeah, it is a glorified office. In, in right, office. right, okay, sure. But anyway, no, and it's actually working out really, really nicely. But anyway, I'm not going to do that one either. So <laughs> third attempt this first time. I've ever done three. Instead, I'm going to I'm going to uh, call out uh, Pure Mix, who have been doing loads and loads of webinars and really good quality stuff. Andrew Sheps has been has virtually been on some kind of 24-hour telethon or something. I mean, he's been doing these interviews with loads and loads of um, uh, influential people from audio and there's been loads of other stuff going on. And yeah, brilliant. But... I was spotted that uh, um, Fab Dupont, professional Frenchman, is doing a free <laughs> webinar, uh, a great ratatouille cook-along, where he's going to be <laughs> making ratatouille. Are you serious? I'm, I am serious. He's done one with making a quiche before, another one with a chocolate tart. But uh, okay. yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's like, well done, Fab. I like that. And actually, I th- I'm sure I'll disagree violently with what you say about how to make a ratatouille. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> looking, for, uh, looking forward to Jamie Oliver coming in and talking about uh, Pro Tools. He's a drummer <laughs> of sorts. <laughs> but yes, anyway, there we go. Um, I think we're going to have to wind it up there because we've spoken at length, but it's been it's been great to have you on, James. And uh, oh, thank great you to have you on as well, uh, Eli, obviously, but it's not your first time. And uh, I think we'll leave it at that. So, uh, uh, well, it's, it's good night from me. 
and good night from me. And good night from me. Good night. Good night.